is the memory. you're already doing you're always doing what's in your heart you can't get away from your heart because life is a paradox it's a mirror of confusion so love now I love all of you! Well, <laughs> that video is a little crazy, right? But um, maybe a lot crazy. Uh, but I think it really illustrates the, uh, the heart of tonight's question that we talk about. And we're doing a series uh, of sermons exploring the top questions that people have about Jesus, about faith, about the Bible, about Christianity. And, and that video, I really think, gets at the heart of today's question, which is this. Is Christianity restrictive? And though it's a rational question, like all questions are rational questions, it really is an emotional question. It's really something that we wrestle with in the, in the core of our hearts. And so I thought that video, which, I mean, has over, you know, over a million views and many people find it, you know, it's obviously silly, but find it very inspiring as well because of the types of things that he is saying. She asks him, what's the purpose of life? It's to be free, live now, live in the moment, do what you love. I mean, all, all of that type of stuff. And, and many times when we think about Christianity, one of the questions that we have is, is it, is it restrictive? Does it take away our freedom? Is it repressive? Does it, squel does it squelch kind of natural human desire? Is it, is it something that is no fun? Is it a straitjacket? Is, is, it, is it something that, that pushes us down? Is it something that takes away our joy? 
Is it something that takes away freedom, that takes away kind of that, that energy of live now, live? I wish I had the whole thing memorized and I would just recite it. But I mean, is, does it do that? Or does it feel like that? Maybe even if you are a Christian, does sometimes Christianity feel restrictive? Does it feel like, man, this is sure, you know, it's true and everything, but it's kind of sucking away my joy. Is, is that, I mean, so this is, a, this is a question. Some of the questions that we've talked about have been kind of really rational, like uh, could a, a good God allow suffering? And if, if, uh, if there is a God, would he allow suffering? Could there really just be one right religion? I mean, these are some of the kind of rational types of questions that we've talked about. But I think this one is a really heart-level, emotional... I, I mean, is this going to suck? Is it going to take away my life? Is it going to take away my joy and my, and my freedom? I mean, that's, that's a really heart-level type question. And, and here's, here's why I think this is really important, because we are raised... We are raised, I mean, I think from the very time that we're little with this idea really of represented in, in that video, this idea of be happy, live life, pursue life and do what makes you happy. Find a person that makes you happy, find a job that makes you happy, live life in the pursuit of happiness, live life in the pursuit of happiness, look inside find what your purpose is, look inside, find what your meaning is, and then, and then do it. And that's the most fulfilled life. Do that. Find what will really fulfill you. Find what will really bring you joy. Look inside and find your purpose and find your meaning and do that. I mean, the, the most popular kind of way that this is said is follow your heart, right? I mean, follow your heart. Your heart will guide you through decisions. Your heart will guide you to this person or that person. Your heart will guide you through life. What should you do with life? Follow your heart. Who should you be around? Follow your heart. That, that is kind of the, the popular mantra of how do we live life? How will we have satisfaction and fulfillment in life? Follow your heart. I think that Steve Jobs, who invented my phone, says this very well. And he says this, your time is limited. So don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. So, I mean, he, I think he articulates that position well that we're all raised with that's in Disney movies, that's in blockbuster movies, that's in literature, that's in school, that's in everything, that's in, that's in Christian books, that's in, I mean, just everything, everywhere, every place, every friend's advice. Steve Jobs says it perhaps the best. The most important thing is to have the courage to follow your heart and your intuition, to look inside. That's how you'll become who you truly want to become. Now here's the, here's the thing. When we, when we encounter Jesus, Jesus confronts this idea. He pushes up against this idea. 
See, you, you can believe in God and, and live like this. You can, you can go to church and live like this. You can read the Bible even and live like this. You can read Christian books and listen to Christian songs and live like this. I mean, this is, this is very possible, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, to fit this into your life. But the problem is, and the, I mean, the question often people have about Christianity is, is it going to restrict me? Is it going to repress me? Is it going to take away my joy and my freedom? Because when we come up to Jesus, he doesn't say this. I mean, Jesus, the words that Jesus speaks push up against this. Here, here's, here's what Jesus says. And he said, that's Jesus, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But what, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's Luke 9. And then in John, he says this. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, lay down your life. Jesus doesn't say, follow your heart. He says, follow my heart. Jesus doesn't say, look inside and look at your inner voice and, and look and that's how you'll know. He says, no, listen to my voice. He doesn't say what Steve Jobs said. He says something way different. I mean, this is actually, this is the most popular saying. Uh, by popular, I, I, maybe that's not the right word. This is the most frequent saying that Jesus said. More than anything else, other than follow me, which is really kind of the same thing, other than follow me, if you read through the stories in the Bible that talk about Jesus, this is the most frequent thing he says. He's always saying this. Always. This is, I mean, so, so you think about Christianity and what's one of the questions or what's the, the obstacles that people have, whether you are a Christian or aren't a Christian, what's some of the things that that we wonder about or that keep us from exploring God or exploring Christianity, I think this is the biggest one. I mean, I think this is the biggest obstacle that keeps us from following Jesus, from being interested in Jesus, from exploring Jesus, because it's really offensive. I mean, this gets at the very core, the very heart of who we are. Doesn't it? I mean, if, if our whole life, if everything that we believe is follow your heart, look inside. If that's what we believe, if that's the core, I mean, Jesus says the opposite of that. It's very, I mean, it's very confrontational. And he said it all the time. I mean, it, it's offensive. And I think emotionally, this is the biggest obstacle, the fact that there would be a God that would say, I want to control your life. You're no longer just an autonomous individual doing as you please, but I don't want you to follow your heart. I don't want you to look inside. I want you to actually follow my heart and look outside and deny yourself and lay down your life and lose your life and even hate your life in the sense of that you are willing to lose it. So this is what Jesus says. And I think this is what really what really keeps us, whether you're a Christian or not, from going 
I'm interested in Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to walk with Jesus. I really want to know Jesus. I think this is the thing that really keeps us from that. So, this is what we talk about tonight. Is Christianity restrictive? Is it restrictive? Is it repressive? And here's, and here's where we need to start with this, because what do we do? I mean, is, I mean if we just kind of stop there, is it? I mean, is Christianity restrictive? Does it repress you? Does it take away your freedom? Because if Jesus is contradicting the, the popular follow your heart, then, I mean, does, is basically life as a Christian going to just take away all joy and freedom? Is that what it is? What, what do we do with this? So here's, here's how we... Um, Here's just our starting point in our hearts, okay? I think this is true of everybody, that we long for both of those things, freedom and joy. Okay, I think all of us long for both of those, and they're intricately connected. You know, it's like two links on a chain. Freedom and joy. We want freedom, which is we want the ability to pursue our own dreams, to to make our own goals, to kind of carve out our own path in life to be able to determine what is right, what is good, and explore it and go after it, set our goals and achieve them. We want freedom, right? And and we want freedom because then we believe that that will lead to joy, which is fulfillment and happiness and satisfaction. We all want that. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's where we begin. We begin with this desire for freedom and for joy. Can I, what, what can I do? How can I be happy? I mean, if you just kind of boil it down, that's, that's the question. And C.S. Lewis, in his book, uh, Mere Christianity, says that this is our starting point, okay? So this is just all of us as we live life, as we begin life, that's where we start, with a desire to have freedom and have joy. That's, that's how we begin. And then what happens is this, as you, as you begin to live life, you realize you can't just do that uninhibited. You, you begin to realize that, okay, I've got myself and my desires and my interests and my pursuit of freedom and my pursuit of joy. That's where I start. But then you begin to see and realize, but you know what? I can't just do that uninhibited. Something else has a demand on myself and my interests. So you live life and you, maybe, maybe it's, I mean, think about if you get married then you realize, okay, I can't just do whatever I want to do anymore. There's some, I I might have my pursuit of freedom and my pursuit of joy, but there's something now that I realize has a claim on me also. This other person has a claim on me. Or if you have kids, same thing. You can't just say, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be out for a while. See you later, seven-month-old. Bye. You can't just do that. You realize that, okay, I've got my interests and I've got my desires and I've got my pursuits for freedom and joy, but something else has a claim on part of my life. And that might be a person, it might be family, it might be a spouse, it might just be um, the common good. You realize, man, I kind of have to live in society in a way that is for the common good. It may be your conscience, it may be morality of some sort, it may be religion of some sort. You just... You realize, I've got myself, I've got my interests, I've got my desires, but then you start to see something else has a claim on those things. And what C.S. Lewis says is that as we try to live like this, 
we're often like an honest man trying to pay his taxes, which is that we are saying, okay, I I know something else has a claim on this, so I need to kind of pay my dues there, but we're trying to, okay, I'll pay my dues, I'll pay my dues, and I want to have enough left over to now pursue my interests and pursue my desires and have myself and live my life. So yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I mean, th- there's a claim. The government has a claim on my money. I'll be an honest person and pay my taxes. But I also want, at the end of the day, to be able to live my life and have my desires and have my interests and have my goals and do my thing. So what happens then? Well, what C.S. Lewis says is we can't live like that for too long. Because what happens is that we basically burn out. I mean, if you're, if you, the more that you give in to something else has a claim on my life, the more you start to realize more and more and more things have a claim on your life. The common good has a claim. My family has a claim. My spouse has a claim. And if you're trying to, I mean, basically you end up with no money and you keep paying the taxes, paying the taxes, paying the taxes, and you start to realize I've got nothing else left for me. So then what happens is a lot of times people just give up. Okay, forget it. I'm done. I I mean, I'm not I'm going to stop paying my taxes. I'm going to stop letting other things have a claim on my life and I'm going to follow my heart. I'm going to just that's how I'm going to live my life. That's how I'm going to go. I mean, what makes me happy? Forget being paying my taxes and forget other things that have a claim on my life. I'm going to live my life and do my thing. And so we, we stop. Or we go the other way, which is we keep trying, keep doing everything. Keep, we become a kind of person that is living to do good. But then what happens is, because, because that isn't necessarily a joy-giving thing, what it means is we become a very self-righteous person that's always looking down on other people that are not living as we are living. It means that we want to be noticed for the way that we are living. Don't you see how much of myself that I've given away? Don't you see how much I've sacrificed? Don't you see how much I've set aside my goals and my wants and my desires? Don't you see how much of that I've pushed away? And so we want to be noticed. And if others aren't noticing, we begin to get upset. We begin to get frustrated. I'm living for other people. Don't you see this? So we become self-righteous or become bitter or we just kind of live begrudgingly doing maybe a lot of good. So if we live like that with here's my interests and here's my desires, but other things have a claim on it, what begins to happen is we either give up and say, I just want to be happy. Or we do it and we're not happy. So what about Christianity? Well, I mean, is Christianity like this? Is it, is it harder than this? Is it, is, it easier, is it easier than this? Well, what C.S. Lewis says is this. Christianity is both harder and easier. It's both harder and easier because when we, when we come to Jesus, he doesn't say, hey, I want this part of your life. He says, I want all of your life. He doesn't say, hey, I want this part of your time. I want Sunday at 5 o'clock. He says, no, I want all of your time. He doesn't say, hey, I want this part of your money. He says, I want all of your money. I mean, he says, I want everything. I want your whole life. So is that harder or is it easier? What C.S. Lewis says is this. He says, it's hard 
But it's far easier than what we are all trying to do instead, the other way of life. Okay, I got a little bit of this, a little bit of that. For what we are trying to do is to remain what we call ourselves. So we're trying to remain ourselves, to keep personal happiness as our great aim in life. And yet at the same time, so we want happiness to be our great goal in life, and yet at the same time to be good. So we're all trying to let our mind and heart go their own way, centered on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping, in spite of this, to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. And that is exactly what Christ warned us you could not do. See, C.S. Lewis says that it's harder and easier. Because if you try to live your life saying, okay, I want, I want ambition and I want pleasure and I want money and I want this and I want that and I want to be good and humble and chaste and godly and you can't do it. You can't do both. You can't have one foot in each world. You can't say, I want to live as myself and live giving my life to God. You can't do both. So it's harder and easier. It's harder because Jesus isn't asking for a part of your life, a chunk of your life. So it's harder, but it's easier because no one can live like that. And if you've tried, you feel the tension. If you're trying, you feel the tension all the time. I can't live in both of these ways. I can't try to hang on to both. I can't try to be myself, as C.S. Lewis says, and pursue my happiness, and yet also try to live as a Christian or live following God. You can't do both. You just can't. So it's harder and easier. It's harder and easier. And see, here's what happens. The way that we often approach God is we don't approach God saying, here's my life, it's yours. We, we approach God, and this is true if you're exploring God for the first time tonight or if you've been a Christian for a long, long time. The way that we usually approach God or the way that we often approach God is by coming to Him and saying, I've got this issue I want you to work on. So we come to Him because something is bothering us. Some, maybe we're anxious, maybe we're lonely, something's bothering us. And so we say, maybe God can help with that issue that I have. Or, or maybe it's something that's really kind of messing up our lives. I mean, think about if maybe you're struggling with an addiction or ever struggled with an addiction or know people that have struggled with an addiction. Maybe they come to God because they say, this particular thing is messing up my life. So I want to come to God to get help with that. So it could be a problem, it could be guilt, it could be an addiction. Maybe it's just, maybe it's not a negative thing that you want to get rid of. Maybe it's a positive thing that you want to add. Maybe it's, I want friends and I want joy and I want some purpose. So maybe God can give me that. So we approach God coming to him saying, God, I, I'd like some help with this. Okay, and this is, how we, this is how we come to God. But then what happens? What happens is that he says, okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll look at those things. I'll, I'll, I'll talk with you about those things. I'll help you with those things. We can, we can explore those things. But we get more than we bargain for. Because he doesn't stop there. I mean, I, I remember um, several years ago, I went to uh, a naturopathic doctor. And uh, I, I had a bunch of friends that were going to this doctor. And they were getting 
vitamins and supplements and all this stuff that they said was, you know, making their energy levels higher and their brain levels more efficient. Or I was like, that sounds great. Okay, I'd like to get some vitamins. Why not do that? So I go to the doctor and they do all the blood, they do all these blood tests and do a whole workup and and then uh, I make my week appointment and I come back and like, okay, like I'm a nine. What's going to get me to a 10? Like what kind of vitamins, what kind of supplements do I need? Give me some fish oils or whatever to make my brain energy more powerful. It's like, let's do it. But what happens is I come in and he says, my cholesterol's high. You start exercising. You're allergic to gluten. You've got your blood sugar levels are bad. I don't remember if they're high or low or whatever. And like, wait a minute. I don't want to. That's not. I came for some vitamins. Like I want. I don't want to stop eating gluten. I don't want to. I don't want to have to drink more water. I don't want to have to exercise. I don't want to have to cut out sugar. I don't want to have to. Like, I, that's not what I. I came for brain power, right? Like, give me a fish oil pill and make my brain more powerful. Don't tell me to stop eating donuts. Don't tell me to stop eating pizza. Don't tell me to work out. That's not, that's not what I came to you for. But he said, yeah, 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 I know, yeah. Well, here's some fish oil. You can have it. There's, there's your brain power. But there's more. There's much more. Because there's way more that I'm not even asking for. There's way more. I mean, I mean for a year I didn't listen to anything he said. But now my life is different. I mean, I, my diet is different. People I've met are different based on food things. Um, and it's different now. But that's not what I went in for. And that's how we come to God. We come to God saying, look, I want you to help me with this. And he says, okay, I will. But there's so much more. And then what happens is we can say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not, hold on, God. I just came to you because I want to be a little bit of a better person and I want some friends. That's what I want or or whatever it is for you. I I want to be, I, I realize I'm not the best person. I want to be a better person. I realize I've got some loneliness and I want some community. Help me with that. And God says, okay, but there's so much more. And, and here's, here's either the good news or the bad news, depending on how you look at it. Once you, he commits to you, he doesn't stop. And he doesn't stop. Once you let him in, he keeps going. He won't stop. C.S. Lewis, again, says this. He says, imagine yourself, and, and let's just do this right now, okay? Imagine yourself as a living house. So you are the house, okay? Imagine yourself as a house. You're a house. I want, I want you to think about this. Maybe this is your dream. You've always wanted to be a house, okay? Imagine yourself as a house. And you're a, you're a living, breathing, or whatever, house, whatever living houses do, okay? That's you. And and. And you realize, man, I've got a lawn that's kind of overgrown and a couple windows that are out and, you know, I need a paint job. And you, know, you, you realize it's not great, okay? You realize there's some kinks that need to work out. And so you invite Jesus inside. And he's, what's he do? Well, I mean, Jesus comes in and you're in this living house and what's he start to do? You look out, he's mowing the lawn. You're like, that's what I'm talking about, Jesus. Thank you. Or, I mean, maybe you should have a more uh, season-appropriate analogy. He's shoveling the sidewalk, and you're, I mean, I would be praising Jesus at that time, okay? So you're, thank you, Jesus, this is great. And you see him out there, and he's 
painting, painting it up. And this is what you're envisioning. You're like, oh, man, Jesus is going to get me like this. Oh, Jesus is feeling good. You're making me the house I've wanted to be, Jesus. But then you feel some pain. Something in your side. It just, oh, what was that? And And you look and you knock down one of your walls. Jesus, that was my wall. What are you doing? And then you hear one of your windows shatter. Jesus, my window. What are you doing? And then the whole top roof comes off. Jesus, what you're destroying my house. What's going on? And he's just sledging and slamming and jackhammering and whatever other tool things people use is doing. He's doing all sorts of tool stuff. Okay? And you, it's confusing. You don't understand what's going on. Because he's doing something much different than what you expected that he was doing. Because he's not trying to create this. Jesus is trying to create this. See, he's not, he's not just trying to make you some nicer little version of yourself. Jesus comes in and says, I'm, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm, you, you brought me in here, and guess what? I'm, I'm building an entirely different house. I'm building a palace. I'm building something that I'm going to live in. I'm not just trying to make you pretty and polish up the rough edges. I'm building something entirely different. And I'm going to live there with you. But see, that's a different process than some trim and some new tile and some laminated floors or wood floors. He says, I'm building a palace. I'm I'm building something entirely different. Entirely new. And see, you can say, well, that's not, what I, that's, not, that's not what I wanted to be. That's not what I was trying to be. Jesus, I just wanted you to work on these things. And he says, look, it doesn't matter what you intended. That's not why I came to you. I came to you to work on this thing. He says, it doesn't matter. I'm the builder. I'm the creator. I'm the artist. I've got the plan. I've got the purpose. I, I, I'm, I've got a vision for you. But I, I don't, that's not what I wanted to happen. That's not what I was. It doesn't matter. That's what, he, that's what he was intending. That's what he was wanting. So is it restrictive? What happens is this. We feel that happening and we resist. We feel that happening and we resist it. We push against it. We feel the wall coming down. We feel the window shattering and we say, stop. And, and it's like this. It's like, I mean, uh, imagine yourself as another object, okay? Because that's what we're doing tonight. I mean, imagine that you are a piece of canvas. And you feel fine as a piece of canvas. You like being a piece of canvas. Who wouldn't want to be a piece of canvas? And then the artist grabs it stretches it oh you're stretching me yeah and he's he's making and putting the paint on you're getting me wet you're tickling me with your brush 
whatever, right? And, and we want it to stop. And think about if the, if the Mona Lisa could have had control, could have followed her Mona Lisa canvas heart. She would have said, stop, and would have never been the Mona Lisa. Or think about it with the Empire State Building. Imagine the Empire State Building has a, has a soul, has a heart, and is, the first layer is getting, the foundation is being laid. It might feel like, this is good, I, I have a foundation. And then two floors. This is awesome. I feel I'm a nice two-floor building. I like this. Okay, let's stop here. Because building on it, it's pain. It's hard. And it would have said, stop. Or here's what C.S. Lewis says. I don't think anyone in here would claim that they have consciousness of when they were an embryo. Anybody? No? Okay, good. Um, but imagine if you did. Imagine that you were an embryo and you had consciousness that you could actually have a will and a choice. C.S. Lewis says, and I think he's right, we would have said, I like this. I'm fine being an embryo. But an embryo has to die and change to become a baby. But any embryo would have said, I like being an embryo. It's a good life being an embryo. I don't want to be a baby. That sounds weird. But then a baby, I mean, if, if as a baby, I mean, babies want to be babies. They want to stay in the nice, cozy womb. They want to stay there. Every baby, if it had its will, if it would follow it, listen, if a baby could follow its heart, a baby would say, this is great. This sounds awesome. Me inside this womb. I mean, look, as a baby, you don't have to have a job. You don't have to, you don't have to work. You don't have to fight for your food. There's no one that doesn't like you. You're just chilling all day, all night. And people like, I mean, everybody loves you. They go, oh, I can feel it. I can see it. Every baby would want to stay like that. Baby doesn't want to be a human. I mean, if you tried to explain to a baby what it meant to be an adult, they would go, you are crazy. And they would say, I want to stay as a baby. I mean, what, what? And if you've had a kid or if you've ever seen a kid get born, does any baby come out going, this is great, welcome to the world? No, they come out screaming and crying, and then you snip them and slap them and, you know, do all sorts of stuff to them, and then you make them stand up and walk when they're, you know, tall enough and, you know, old enough. And they wouldn't want to do any of that. They would want to stay as a nice, cuddly baby with mom forever. That's what C.S. Lewis says that we are like. That if that we resist what God is trying to do. We resist what God is trying to do. But the thing is, is if we do that, we will never reach what He intends us to be. We'll never reach the purpose that He has for our lives. We'll never be... He, look, He's trying to make us into this palace. He's trying to make us into this canvas. He's trying to make us into this beautiful skyscraper. He's trying to make us into a mature adult. And we will never be that if all the time it's, I want to hang on to my life. I want to hang on to my life. I know what's best for me. I want to follow my heart. We would never become what He intends us to become. Do you see how different this is from follow your heart? From look inside? It's way different. It's not look inside, it's look outside. It's not follow your heart, it's follow his heart. 
And we think, but if I do this, this is what will make me happy, just like the baby, just like the embryo. If I do this, this is what will bring me fulfillment and joy and freedom. But in reality, it's what will make us grow stale and never become who God intends us to become. Now, this is scary, right? I mean, to say, I mean, so think about what Jesus says. Jesus says, lay down your life. So if somebody just comes up to you on the street and says, hey, I've got a proposal for you. Lay down your life. Like, you're not going to, I mean, if somebody says, hey, I want you to hate your life. I want you to lose your life. You're going to leave them, right? I mean, that's not, if somebody says, I want you to surrender to me. That doesn't really have positive connotations, right? I mean, if I think of somebody saying to me, surrender to me, I think of the police, I think of someone pointing a gun at me. I don't think of positive images. So why is Jesus any different than that? Because Jesus comes up to us and says, lose your life, lay it down, hate your life, surrender to me. I mean, why is he any different? Why is he any different? Because that's a scary thing. I mean, if, if, you're, if, if we understand what he's saying to us, it's a really scary thing to say, lose your life, to say, lay down your life. So here, I mean, here's just this question. Should we lay down our life? Should we lay, I mean, Jesus comes to you, to me, and says, lay down your life. So picture yourself holding your life in your hand. You're holding your life. And Jesus says, I want you to lay it down. I want you to hand it over. So you're holding your life in your hands. And, and here's, here's, the, here's the reality. Someone is going to hold your life. Someone's going to be in control of your life. Someone's going to be the Lord of your life. Someone is going to hold it. And the person that will do that is the person that you believe wants best for it. The person that you believe knows best how it should work. The person that you believe most wants its good. That's the person that you'll let hold your life. That, that person essentially is God, right? I mean, whoever... I mean, whoever has that authority to hold the life that you believe knows best, wants best, cares best, that person is God of your life. And so we're the ones doing that. And there's good reasons for us to be the one holding our life. Right? I mean, there's a lot of good, I mean, I wouldn't hold, I wouldn't hand my life over to you. You wouldn't hand your life over to me. I mean, I know in my life that I've looked out for myself. I know in my life that, that I've known what's best for me and pursued it. I know in my life that I feel like I can take care of my life. I, mean, I wouldn't take my life and walk it over to one of you and put it in your hands. I wouldn't do that. I mean, I've got good reason to believe that I'm going to look out for my life. But Jesus says, I want you to give that to me. I want, you to hand, I want you to hand that to me. Now, should we do that? I mean, should we lay down our life? Do, do, is there any good reason to say, hey, I'm going to give that to you instead, Jesus? Because we've got a lot of good reasons to hold on to it. Is there any good reason to hand that over to him? I mean, is there? I mean, the only thing that enables us to do that is if we trust him. 
Because here, here, I mean, let's just kind of boil the question down. I mean, the question really is this. If I, if I give that to him, am I going to lose out? I mean, because you know that if you're in charge of your life, you're never going to lose out for lack of wanting, right? I mean, you might lose out just from circumstances being against you, but you're never going to say, hey, you know what? I don't want my life to go well. I mean, you're not going to say that. So you know that if you're in charge, you're all, you, you will not lose out unless it's by just factors around you. But to hand it over to Jesus, the question is, if I did that, will I lose out? And maybe even just uh, narrow it down in particular situations, in particular circumstances. If I did that, would I lose out? Would I miss out? Would I, would I, if, okay, if I gave that to Jesus, if I obeyed Jesus, would I be less happy? Because I know that in my hands, I'm always working for my happiness. I'm always following my heart. If I give that to him, am I going to miss out? Am I going to lose out? Am I going to be less happy? That's the question. Will I be less free? Will I have less joy? And Jesus says, I want you to give it to me. But is there any good reason to do that? And here's, here's what Jesus claims. Let's look at these verses again. Here's what he claims. Jesus claims, if anyone would have come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And then below, whoever loses his Whoever loves his life, loses it. That's whoever tries to hang on to his life, whoever tries to say, this life is mine, whoever tries to say, I'm pursuing my happiness, I'm following my heart, they lose it. Whoever hates his life, which is willing to give it away, willing to give it to him, to, willing to deny yourself, willing to lose yourself, that's the person that will keep it for eternal life. So here's what Jesus is saying. This is what I want, want us to see here. Why would, we, why would we hand it over to him? Well, here's what Jesus is claiming. He's claiming that he's not trying to take anything away from us. I mean, do you see that? He's not just saying, deny yourself, the end. He's not just saying, uh, you know, do good, the end, period. He's saying, I want you to experience life as it really is. I mean, there's two parts of the statement. Whoever loves his life loses it, but whoever hates his life will keep it. If you come after me and try to, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life, you will save it. See, G, what Jesus is claiming is I am telling you, here's what will really bring you life. He's, he's not trying to say I'm taking something from you. He's saying I'm claiming to give you something. I'm claiming to show you real freedom, real joy, real life. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I will give that to you. So why should we hand something over to God? I mean, why should we give our life to God? We'll at least understand what Jesus is claiming. He's claiming that he wants to give you life as it really is. He wants to give you real freedom and real joy. So Jesus says this, he says, I want you to have freedom, but the path is denial. I want you to have life, but the path is death. I want you to have glory, 
But the path is humility. I want you to have purpose, but the path is not to look inside, it's to look outside. So he's not just saying the statements of deny yourself, lose it. He's saying, I want you to have freedom and joy and life and purpose. And you get that through denying and losing and following and picking up your cross. That's what Jesus claims. So here, here, I mean, here's, here's what God, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I made humanity. I mean, Jesus is making a claim to say, I made humanity. And I know how humans work. And more specifically, Jesus is looking at you and saying, I made you. And I know, I know you're, listen, I mean, if there's a God, he's looking at you and saying, I made you. I know you. I know your past. I know your thoughts. I know your emotions. I know your future. I know your presence. I know you. And I know what will most bring about the freedom and the joy and the purpose that you long for. And it's not what you think it is. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that he knows us and he knows what we'll really bring about, what we're really made for. I, 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 want, I want to show you an illustration. See, um, I uh, took a couple years of piano lessons growing up. And um, I, I took a couple years of piano and uh, I didn't like it because, I mean, if you've ever learned an instrument, it restricts your freedom. I mean, it takes away your freedom. You've got to practice. You've got to make your fingers move in weird ways. You've got to restrict your freedom. And, and so I quit. And here's what I know. And I forgot the rest of the song, but that, that's what I know, okay? And that's from two years of piano, and I restricted my freedom, and so I'm able to experience a little bit of piano, right? I mean, that's not horrible. I mean, it's a nice little tune. I actually like it still. And that, that's what I got. I wanted to be free. I wanted to be free. I wanted to be free. I didn't want to restrict myself. I didn't want to practice. I wanted to be free, and I'm free. And so that's what I have. Now, let's look at this. So, who's more free, me or him? Him, right? Why? Because he, he, he restricted himself. He put his freedom away, but now he's really free. I mean, what was a piano made for? Was it made for what I did? My, not even my wife would say yes, okay? A piano was not made for that. A piano was made for something beautiful. It was made for something much more. Wasn't it? I mean, that, that's what a piano was made for. That's what a piano was made for. And the only way to get that is to restrict freedom. 
The only way to actually experience the beauty of what a piano was made for is to repress, is to restrict, is to lay down your piano life. And the same is true spiritually, and that's what Jesus is saying. See, Jesus is not saying, I'm trying to take away from you. He's saying, I want you to experience the beauty of what you were actually made for. But what that takes is to lay down your life. The same way that that's true with an instrument, Jesus says is true spiritually in our soul. That if you want to experience who you were really made to be, if you want life to sing like that, that's not, that doesn't come through saying, I'm free! And I can go jab around on the piano over there and say, I'm free! And you will all leave. Or you, sh- or you won't, and you'll put your headphones in. But this guy can do whatever he wants and say, I'm free. And we say it's beautiful because he restricted. See, if this is true, if what Jesus says is true, it changes. It changes joy and freedom. Because Jesus doesn't say, look, you've got a longing for joy. You've got a longing for freedom. Put that away. It's dumb. No, he doesn't. He, he says, You've got a longing for joy and you've got a longing for freedom and you've got a longing for satisfaction and you're looking in the wrong places. And I want it for you more than you do because I made you and I know how you work and I know what's in your soul. See, if this is true, it changes how we, I mean, all of us, myself included, we want joy and freedom. And if this is true, it changes how we actually find that how we actually experience it. And if it's true, here's what else it means. How do you think, I mean, in your life, if you are experiencing struggle, if you're experiencing a form of death, where do you think that death is coming from? Jesus says it's coming from the things that you think are going to solve it. See, if you're experiencing death in your life, in your relationships, in just, in just your general feelings, we think, what I need is more of this and more of this and more of this. And Jesus says, no, it's that pursuit that's actually causing death. That the very things that we think will bring us life, Jesus says, you're killing yourself. You're killing, these things are killing you. He says the more we try to save our life, the more we try to make our life, pursue our happiness, follow our hearts, the more we try to do that, the more we actually experience death. The more we say, I don't want to practice piano, I don't want to do this, I don't, the more we experience death. It's only, it's only when we say, I will give myself away. I'll lose myself. I'll lay myself down, that we actually experience life. See, it changes. This changes why you're experiencing death, and it changes how you will experience joy and freedom. If what Jesus says is true. So what does this mean now? What does this mean for you? What does it mean? What does it mean? I'll tell you first, it means this, God is good. I mean, it means that you've got a God that says he's actually for you and committed to you and wants joy for you and freedom for you and life for you. I mean, it means that. 
So then what does that mean for your life? I mean, Jesus says, lay down your life, deny yourself daily. What does that mean? And what does it mean for you? That's a question you need to ask God. Because if that's the secret to life, if that's the key to life, is to deny yourself, to lay yourself down, to die to yourself, what does that look like for you? I mean, what do you think it looked like for the disciples that Jesus said that to? I mean, practically, it looked like them saying, I mean, making a decision, okay, I'm going to orient my life around you. That's kind of like a a broad, overarching, okay, my life is now lived to follow you. But then Jesus says that statement, die daily. Which means, yeah, there's this broad, overarching, is that the commitment to your life? But then every day, what does that mean? Every day, what does that look like? And so I think it's both those things. And if you're a Christian, I mean, we need to think about both of those things. Is my life saying, God, what do you want? Or is it saying, what do I want? What's my heart say? What makes me happy? What's the governing force of your life? Is the governing force of your life, God, what do you want? Because this life is yours. Or is it, what do I want? And God, yeah, I want you to be a piece of that and help me with this thing and help me paint my house. And then daily, every single day, it means obedience. I mean, that, that's what it really means, you know. I mean, in the nitty-gritty, it means that we, that we open up the Bible and say, okay, God, it's not anymore about my heart and what I want and what I'm saying and, what, and looking inside. It's saying, okay, what, what do you say? Oh, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. But I'm going to deny myself, believing that you're good and that you want good for me and that you're telling me this because there's joy and because there's life. That's what it means. So what does that mean specifically for you? What are you holding on to? What goals, what relationships? What are you holding on to? What in your time, what in your money, what in your heart? What are you holding on to because you think that's life? And it's killing you, is what Jesus said. I mean, do you, as a pastor, I'm telling you that many of us commit suicide thinking that we're finding life to the full. That's what Jesus said. You are killing yourself thinking that you're giving yourself life. So what does that mean for you? What does it mean? Where do you think you'll miss out if you follow him, but seeing that he really is the one that calls you to freedom? And here's, here's where we'll end is this. So Jesus makes these claims. He says that he has a purpose for your life, and he's trying to build you into something beautiful, this palace. He says that he wants good for you. He's not trying to take anything from you. He wants good for you. But why should we trust him? I mean, Jesus says, I want you to take, I want you to lay down your life and hand it to me. He says, I want good for you more than you want good for you. He says, real freedom comes through restriction. He says, real life comes through death. He says, real freedom comes through denial. Why should we trust him? Because here's, here's what our conception of God is for, for many people. We believe God is the person that says, here's a bunch of things to do and not do, 
and I want you to love me. And if you believe in a God of love, then that's probably in some ways how you conceive of God as well, even if you don't believe necessarily in the Bible or in Christianity. We believe, okay, God says, here's some things to do, not do, and I want you to love me. I want you to lay down your life for me, and I want you to sacrifice for me, and I want you to surrender to me. Okay, but if that were any sort of human relationship, that would be abusive and manipulative, right? I mean, any sort of human relationship where somebody says, it's all, where it's all one-sided, where somebody says, lay down your life for me, serve me, sacrifice for me, love me, do what I say, we look at that relationship and go, uh, something's wrong there. Something's wrong, something's off. And yet, that's how many of us view God. And if you believe in just kind of a generic God of love, that's, that's what he said. But what is real love? Real love is always both-sided, and real love gives itself to another person. So can we trust him, or is it just this abusive, one-sided relationship? Here's what Paul says about Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, that's not just a God that's standing over here saying, surrender to me, sacrifice for me, commit to me, follow me, obey me. This is, this is what this is saying. Jesus had all the freedom in the world as God. I mean, Jesus had all the joy in the world as God. He had all the freedom and all the joy in the world. And what did he do? He gave away his freedom and went to the cross. He had all the joy in the world and then he went to the cross and suffered the most agonizing pain, both physically and spiritually, emotionally separated from his father. See, Jesus did not just say, give yourself to me. He gave himself to us. So when he says, give your life to me, it's not a one-sided thing. He's already said, and look, I've given myself to you. I gave up my freedom for you. I gave up my joy for you. I, I did that for you. So can we, tr- I mean, that's the only person we can trust to hand our life over to. And when we take communion, that's what this whole thing is about. That's, that's why he gave us this. That's why Jesus gave us communion. It was to say, this is what he said. He said, this do in remembrance of me. I want you to remember, I gave you my life. I want you to remember that I gave you my freedom, that I laid aside my freedom for you. I laid aside my joy for you. I laid aside my life for you. I want you to, and, and look, you know, it's, what's interesting is he didn't just put that in the book. It's in the book. But isn't it interesting that he told us to eat some bread and drink some wine? I mean, isn't that interesting? He didn't just say, remember, read this page every week. He said, eat something. Drink something. Because he wants us to taste that reality. He wants that to get into the very soul, into the very gut of who we are. 
to say, know that I gave myself to you. Don't just believe that, but taste that, see that, feel that. It's only when that happens that we then say, okay, my life is yours. And and know that he went first. He didn't say, give me your life and then I'll die for you. He said, look what I have done. I gave myself to you. Now give yourself to me. You can trust me. If you're not a Christian, this is what it means to be a Christian. And if you're a Christian, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is, this is life with Jesus, that he has given us his life, and then he says, trust me. I don't want a piece of you. I want all of you. Lay down your life. So as you come to take communion, if you're a Christian, I want you to pray about that. I want you to pray. Ask God to show you what you're holding on to. Ask him to show you what it means And if this is not how, listen, if this is not how you've lived your life, confess that to him as sin. And tell him, I've tried to hold on to my life and have you. Tell him that and start new. And then take communion and receive grace and forgiveness of how gracious he is, you know. I mean, he's already died and lived for us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to give us life. Thank you that you are a God that is for us. God, there's so many things in our life that call us to sacrifice and that call us to surrender. And I'm just thinking of JFK's statement, not don't ask what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I mean, there's so many things like that that, that call us to sacrifice, but you are one that doesn't just call us to that, but that did it for us first. That says, yeah, I want your life, but look, I gave you mine. God, thank you for that. And God, I, I, I ask you to um, revive our hearts where they're dead. Awaken our hearts where they're asleep. God, destroy the lies that we believe that we are trying to to pursue freedom and joy when we're really killing ourselves. Destroy those lies in every heart in this room. I ask you to do that, God. Father, you're a good God that wants so much for us, and yet we've bought into the lie so many times that we are for us and you are against us, and that's not true. God, please help us to see reality that you are the one that wants to give us life. You gave us your life, and I thank you. Jesus. Amen.